Well, good morning, faith family. How's everybody doing? Good, right? Great. Hard not to be good or great after a song like that. Very moving. Loved it. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, in case you're visiting with us, my name is uh, Robert Leto. I have the honor and privilege of serving as the student pastor here at Red Cross. And uh, also the honor and privilege of filling in for Pastor Jesse today, giving him a little reprieve, an opportunity to sit in with his family for once and enjoy service. And we're thankful for him. Um, thankful for you guys. Thankful for this opportunity. Um, and before we begin, I'd just like to pray, just because um, I need help doing this. So I'm going to seek some help real quick. Let's pray. <clears throat> Holy Heavenly Father, God, we just uh, stop and take a moment to turn our hearts towards you. Father, I uh, freely confess that um, apart from you, I have no good. I know that, uh, Lord, your promise holds true, Lord, that you are the vine and we're the branch. Unless we abide in you, we can do nothing. So we seek to abide in you this morning. Lord, everyone in this room is in need of you, in need of your love, in need of your grace, in need of your forgiveness, in need of your Holy Spirit's empowerment, Lord. Uh, myself to proclaim your word and, and then the re- all of us, Lord, to hear it and to respond to it, Lord. Do not just be hearers of the word, but doers of it. Please help us in this endeavor. We know that you've given us your spirit to lead us and to guide us and to direct us through truth. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for Christ who makes all of this possible. Father, use your word, use your spirit um, and your word to uh, edify your people, and to glorify your name. Lord, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so you can see on the screen here, the title of the message is The Mindset of the Messiah. We're going to be in Philippians 2, 7 through 8. But before we get to that, I want to start off by allowing us to ponder this. If you were to ask any reputable biblical scholar or a sound theologian, what's one of the, what's one of the most important factors when it comes to interpreting the Bible correctly, interpreting a text, what would they tell you? Well, they give you three key principles, and they're a little difficult, so if you want to take out a pen and paper and write this down, you might want to do that. Here are the three rules. Context. 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 One of the only proper ways to interpret Scripture is to use Scripture to interpret Scripture, but especially by focusing in on its immediate context. You know, the passage we've been going through in Philippians over this Advent series has been one of the most frequently used and abused passages in the Bible because it deals with one of the most profound mysteries the world has ever known. It deals with the topic of the incarnation of Christ. When God became man. We've heard it nearly every Christmas. In fact, many of us have heard it so many times and in so many different ways it's starting to become almost mundane. As a result, we have become cold and numb to its awe-inspiring truth. In our minds, we cheapen it, this infinitely valuable reality, by quickly passing it over as if it were common. I want to use an illustration to help us wrap our minds around this. Think of a, a, a gold prospector, right? A foolish gold prospector quickly passing over a golden nugget with a hasty glance, mistaking it for a common stone. You know, as we grasp for our Bibles this morning, I pray that they would also grab us. I pray that we would stop and ask God for a fresh perspective this morning. 
I pray that God would reignite the fire that once burned within our hearts as we gather around his word to be warmed through its refreshment. I pray that we would respond to the songs that we have just sung. Oh, come and let us truly adore him. Whatever is running through our minds this morning, I know it can be tough that there's holiday season. Whatever's running through your mind this morning, please stop. Just take a moment, if you will, to empty it of its worries. Empty it of its concerns. Take a moment to fill your mind with this truth. With your head and your heart this morning, may we all take a moment to prepare him room. Consider this. The all-powerful, all-knowing, everlasting, infinitely perfect in every conceivable way imaginable, immutable God entered into sinful and broken humanity in the most unexpected of ways. The Lord God Almighty, who alone exists in the highest position of rank, holiness, and power, high in the heavens, came all the way down into the lowest and despised and rejected of positions on earth. The holy God entered into sinful humanity as a homeless immigrant refugee who, as the book of Isaiah describes, as a man who had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him, a man who was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, a man very familiar with grief. He was someone who men would rather hide their faces from than look at him. He was a man despised. A man who was not esteemed. Even from the beginning of his arrival, the creator of the heavens and the earth spent his first night under the very stars he spoke into being while resting his head inside of a feeding trough, surrounded by the very animals who had just used it the night before. All because no one had the compassion or willingness to welcome his arrival. From the beginning of his life in that cradle to the end of his life on that cross, it was a life marked by suffering. Christ left the pleasures of heaven to experience the pains of earth. But why? He did it for those very people who had treated him so poorly. He did it for people just like you and me. Because this passage is so profound and because so many errors have been made in the past when seeking to interpret its meaning, I'm not just going to read the, first, the two verses I'm assigned to preach on today. I'm also going to read the verses that precede it before it because it's going to help with interpreting it by looking at its context. So please open your Bibles with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. We're going to be taking a look at today, mainly verses 7 and 8. And would you please stand with me, if you would, in the honor of the reading of God's Word. The Word of the Lord coming from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. So, 
If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Thank you. You may be seated. It's the word of the Lord. The verses leading up to 7 and 8 are so critical when it comes to understanding what Paul is calling the Philippian church to do in light of what Christ has done for them. You know, the Holy Ghost wrote this letter through the Apostle Paul while he was in a prison cell. And in the letter, he calls the church to find encouragement in Christ. Through being comforted by His love, by participating in His Spirit, And in verse 2, he says, you can complete my joy. How? By being unified. By having the same mind. Having the same love. Being in full accord. And again, he says, of one mind. And perhaps one of the most important verses in the entire passage, in my opinion, in verse 5, he calls to church to have this mindset. Have this mind among itself, listen to this next part, which is theirs in Christ Jesus. That's where my main idea of this message comes from, the mindset of the Messiah. Paul is calling the church, the very body of Christ, to be unified under the mindset of their Messiah. And you know, wouldn't that make sense? If the church is to be the body of Christ, and Christ is to be the head of the church, then wouldn't it make sense for the body to live in such a way that reflects that reality? Reflects the head that it's connected to. Pastor Jesse did an awesome job unpacking verses 5 and 6, and I'm really looking forward to next week where he's going to be unpacking 9 through 11. So today I'm going to make it my aim to unpack 7 and 8 for us. Look there again, if you will. Verses 7 and 8. Christ emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, many have argued over the proper theological interpretation of that passage But I believe it's important to keep in mind what Charles Spurgeon said about this. He said it was written not to divide Christians through theological debates, but rather to unite them by encouraging them to have a deeper and greater humility and love. 
But if we're honest for a moment, as fallen, carnal human beings like we all are, aren't we so prone to do just the opposite? I know I am. We are so prone to a prideful, self-centered attitude fueled by an appetite of self-exaltation. And Paul knows this all too well. But he also knows the only remedy for such a horrible condition where it may be found. Like every other sinful condition that plagues the body, the church must look to Christ and Christ alone. For he is our great physician of our souls. Like all other sins that ail us, Paul calls the church to look to the cross where the stains from sin can be washed away by the precious blood of the Lamb. So as we look to Christ this morning, as we turn our gaze to that cross this morning, may we be unified by his same mindset. And I have only two points from these two verses for us to consider this morning. The first comes from verse 7. And that point is this. If you're following along and you want to write this in, you can. The body of Christ is unified under the mindset of selfless service. Selfless service. In verse 7 it says, But Christ emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Those first few words have been the source of very much debate in the church. Christ emptied himself. What on earth does that mean? If you were to only focus on those three words, all sorts of misunderstandings and even heresies could arise. From Ebionism, which denies the deity of Christ, to Arianism, which denies the fullness of the deity of Christ, But thankfully, Christ has protected his bride from such false teachings. In fact, history has shown us that the church has stood against these false teachings, these false doctrines. For example, in A.D. 451, the Chalcedonian Creed was crafted, which scripturally affirms Jesus' full humanity and his full deity with his two natures united in one person. You know, for the sake of our time this morning, I'm not going to read the entire creed to you, but I do want to share with you a small excerpt from it. It starts off by saying this. We then, the church, we then follow the Holy Fathers, all with one consent. This is what you're supposed to teach men. Teach men to confess one in the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead, and also perfect in manhood. Truly God and truly man. Of reasonable soul and body, consubstantial with the Father according to the Godhead, consubstantial with us according to the manhood. In all things like us, yet without sin. You know, in case you're like me and you didn't know what consubstantial means, let me help you a little bit here. It simply means the same substance or essence. You know, it's important for the church to understand that Christ did not empty himself of his deity. Because God cannot become any less God. 
Rather, he emptied himself of divine privileges. How? By becoming human. The incarnation resulted in Jesus being fully God and fully man. In theology, this is known as the hypostatic union. Two natures in one person, unmixed forever. You can think of it like a paradox. Christ did not empty himself by subtraction. Christ did not empty himself by subtraction, but rather by addition. He did not subtract from himself his deity. He added to himself our humanity. He emptied himself of his high position of authority. You know, perhaps you may be wondering, well, how did he do that? Or what does that even look like? Just keep reading the text. It will soon interpret itself. In verse 7, Christ emptied himself. How? By taking or adding to himself the form of a servant. Well, what does that look like? He was born in the likeness of men. Well, why would he do a thing like that? Let me put it to you this way. Christ emptied himself and took on men so that men might empty themselves and take on Christ. For we too, as the church, the very body of Christ, are called to have the same mindset as our Messiah. We are called to live a selfless life of service just as he lived. We know this because passages such as Galatians 5.13 says this. We were called to freedom in Christ. Only do not use your freedom for the opportunity of the flesh, but instead, through love, serve one another. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, I mean, consider John chapter 13, right? Think of John chapter 13. On the very night of Jesus' betrayal, when he rose from supper, what did he do? He laid aside his outer garment. And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin. And he began to do what? To wash the feet of his disciples. And wipe them with the towel that was around his waist. And he washed all of their nasty, dirty feet. Even the feet of Judas. Who would soon betray him. And do you remember what he said after that? And when he washed their feet. And he put on, his, put on his outer garments and resumed his place. What did he say to them? This is really important. He asked them a question. He says, do you understand what I have just done? Do you understand what I have done to you? He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. For so I am. I am a teacher and I am Lord. But if I then am your Lord and teacher, if I then have washed your feet, you also ought to wash the feet of one another. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. Hear this last part. If you know these things, because we all have just heard this, we all know this, right? If you know these things, 
Blessed are you if you do them. If you do them. If you live this out. If the church is to be the body of Christ, it is to do as he has done. It is to live as he has lived. It is to serve as he has served. No matter whose feet we come across. For there were no limits to who Christ would serve. No one was beneath him. Christ served tax collectors. Christ served prostitutes. Christ served the despised, the diseased, the dejected, the downcast, the destitute. And even those who plotted his own murder. He serves the undeserving. He serves the broken. He serves needy sinners just like you and me. This is how we are to reach the lost, church. This is how we are to show the world Jesus. By loving them in the same way that Christ has loved us. By showing them the same grace, the same mercy, the same kindness, the same forgiveness, and the same service that Christ has shown us. And you know, how dare we think any differently than of ourselves? How dare we think of ourselves as too mighty or too important to stop and serve another? If Christ who holds the ultimate position of importance, served in the seemingly lowest places of importance, how much more so should we? Are we really going to say that we are too good for Jesus? Are we really going to say, well, you know what, those might be your standards to live by, God, but I'm going to hold mine just a little bit higher. You see, I have a little bit more dignity than you. Who are we kidding Are you beginning to come to grips with the depths of our own depravity just yet? Are you beginning to understand the audacity of our arrogance? I know I am. I know I am. You can just ask my neighbor, Evan Early, or or better yet, my wife, Allie, and they'll tell you, (laughs) I'm a wretch. I know I'm a wretch, but you know what? I also know that I am loved cherished, cleansed, and forgiven by God himself. How about you? How about you, church? You know, the mind of Christ doesn't just stop at selfless service. It goes even further than that. Just as there were no limits to who Jesus would serve, there were also no limits to how Jesus would serve. And this brings me to my second and final point of this message. Point number two. The body of Christ is unified under the mindset of of submissive sacrifice. If you want to write that down, submissive sacrifice. Look in verse 8, if you will. In being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The humility of Christ knew no limits. Christ didn't just become a man. Christ didn't just serve men. Christ honored the Father by obeying Him all the way to dying for men in the most humbling and excruciating of ways. Death on a cross. You know, I just learned this this past week in my studies 
Did you know that the cross was the ultimate form of Roman capital punishment? It was reserved for the lowest of the lows, for only non-Roman citizens, and for the worst of criminals. There is no better example, church. No better example of humility and of selfless sacrificial attitude for us to follow that could possibly be given to us than that of Christ. He is our ultimate example. He is how the saints are to be unified, to be like-minded under the mindset of our Messiah. I want to give you an illustration of just how wild and crazy this is. Imagine for a second if you lived a party lifestyle, sinfully abusing your own body with substances, trying to chase a high to the point of organ failure. You go to the doctor one day and they tell you your heart is failing and the only way you're going to survive is if you receive a transplant. You know, to your surprise, someone from your old school who you used to bully and ridicule for being a goody two-shoes, they're perfectly healthy, not a thing wrong with them. They hear about your predicament and they offer you their own. You know, you might hesitate with that decision at first, but eventually this is life or death, so you graciously accept their offer and the surgery is set to take place just six, sorry, three months away. And to your profound amazement, for the next three months of that person's life, who is literally giving you the heart in their own chest so that you can live, they come over to your house day after day, night after night, living out their remaining days serving you. Washing your body, preparing your food, doing your chores. That doesn't make sense, does it? That sounds ridiculous, right? But that's just a glimpse as to what Christ has done for us. He spent the last three years of his life leading up to that ultimate sacrifice, serving those who were in need. Those who had mistreated him all the way to the cross. Christ lived a life of selfless service. He lived a life of sinless sacrifice. But why? Why would he do that? One commentator put it this way. Listen to this. This is good stuff. When Christ Jesus left the bliss of heaven for the miseries of earth, for you, his purpose was not only to rescue you from your sins, though it was for that, it was not only to set you an example of humility, though it was for that, it was also to reconfigure the inclinations of our hearts so that his mindset, that is his joy in selflessly serving others is becoming that of your own. It was for you to have the same mindset as your Messiah and in so doing, fulfill the ultimate purpose of your existence. Church, we were made in his image. We were made to reflect his glory. You know, C.S. Lewis put it this way. The Son of God became a man so that men might become sons of God. Because Christ died for us, we are to live for Him. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. Church, the incarnation of Christ, the life of Christ, the death and resurrection of Christ makes all of this possible. I want you to ponder just for a moment Galatians chapter 4. Verses 4 through 7. It's a really good text. Write this down. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. It tells us why. It says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, Jesus, born of woman. He was born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption. As sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And it cries out with a loud voice, Abba, Father, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through Christ. Christ took every single aspect of our fallen, broken humanity upon himself. I hope we realize that. So that through his redeeming work on the cross, he could bring us to the Father. Check out how beautiful this is. Hebrews chapter 2, 17 through 18 says this. Therefore Christ had to be made like his brothers. That means made like us in every respect. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. To make propitiation. That simply means turning away the wrath of God for sins of people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. That's good news. Like that's the encouragement we need, right? That should be so encouraging. When we struggle... Not if, but when we struggle, when we stumble, when we lack the mindset of our Messiah, what should we do? Call out to Christ. Why? He is merciful, church. He is faithful. As our high priest, he extinguished the wrath of the Father with his own blood. And you know what? He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly how it felt. You know, you may mistakenly think at first, well, hold on a second. That's easy for him to say he's God. Of course he can withstand temptation. I want you to think of it this way, though. Because he is truly man, he felt every single heartache, every single pain, Every single struggle a man could face, and then some. He battled loneliness, depression, lust, anxiety. He battled worries. He battled pride. He battled anger. He battled the entire weight of the world's sin and God's wrath on his shoulders. And because he is truly God, he arose victorious over every single one. You know, the fact that he's truly God made this all the more weightier. Where lesser men like me would have fallen much sooner, Christ held firm. 
Think of it this way. Think of two people who place their hand on top of a stove top. You turn the stoves on. As the temperatures increase, the one who rips their hand away because of the pain before the stove fully heats up never knows just how excruciating that's going to feel. But Christ's hands held firm on the cross as he absorbed the full weight of our sin and the consequences from it as he stood under the weight of every single temptation, never once buckling. And let us not forget that as Christians, when God calls Christians, when when he calls us, it's a call to come and die. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to first pick up your cross and follow. You know, we pass over that like it's no big deal, don't we? I once heard of a missionary They just returned to America after a long stay overseas. And they were at a religious festival in America, looking around from booth to booth. And a sign caught their eye. The sign said this, cheap crosses. They thought to themselves for a moment, that's exactly what Christians are looking for in America these days. Cheap crosses. My Lord's cross was not cheap. It cost him greatly. Why should mine be any different? Truth be told, many are willing to follow Christ so long as it doesn't cost us anything. Many are willing to serve others as long as it doesn't cost us anything. But as soon as there's a price to be paid, we suddenly turn away. But Jesus was willing to never turn away. Jesus was willing to give so much for you and me. Why not be willing to serve others in return? Jesus did this by a submissive sacrifice. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Dr. J.H. Jolet says this, ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. If there is a blessing, there must also be some bleeding. May we remember that as we seek to serve others. You know, as we start to close this morning. You know, this is one of the most divisive times. I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but this is one of the most divisive times the world has ever known. Let us remember in the midst of that great division, the Spirit of God unifies the body of Christ. How? Through empowering believers to live out the mindset of their Messiah. Church, Red Cross Baptist Church, and the big church in general, we are called to be unified. We are called to be unified under the mindset of our Messiah. A Messiah who lived a life of selfless service. A Messiah who lived a life of submissive sacrifice. And he did it all because he considered others as more important than himself. May his focus of glorifying the Father be our focus as well. May we remember who Christ served knew no limits and how Christ served knew no limits. Though he was above all, he came down to serve beneath all. So how about you? How will you respond to hearing this call of Christ today? 
Brothers and sisters, let me just encourage you, myself included, I had to do this, guys. If there is any area in your life that does not reflect this mindset this morning, turn to your faithful high priest. Turn to Christ in repentance. Christ poured himself out so that we could be full. Christ emptied himself so that we could be filled with him. You know, December 25th is just right around the corner. As this approaches, keep in mind verse 5. This mindset is given to us through Christ. It's given. It's a gift. You don't have to wait for Christmas to open yours today. Just real quick as we close, there might be an unbeliever in the room. There might be an unbeliever online. I don't know. But if you are, you don't have access to this. You're still cut off from Christ, dead in your sins and trespasses. You cannot put on the mind of Christ until you first experience a renewing of your soul. Surrender to the Savior today. John 6, 37 says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will by no means ever cast out. Won't you come to Christ today? If so, he will by no means ever cast you out. Because Christ took on humanity, humanity may now take on Christ. This very morning, take hold of Christ today. Ask him to be your head. And as your head, share in in his same mindset. You know, ultimately the body of Christ is called to be unified. And unified by what connects every single one of its members. It's all connected to its head. How do you know if you're a part of that body? How do you know if you're connected to Christ? Ask yourself, do you live like it? Do you have the mindset of your Messiah? One of the most important things I can say this morning is this. This is only possible through the Holy Spirit's empowerment. And because of that, we're going to turn to him right now and pray, pleading with him for it. Church, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your perfect word, for your perfect spirit and your perfect son, for the perfect work that was finished on the cross when he said, it is finished. Father, you have called us to live out this truth. And we know that you place your spirit within us and you cause us to literally walk in your statutes. So do that this morning. Empty us of ourselves and fill us with your son so that we too may have the mindset of Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen.